Hashtag MSW. Hashtag MSW. Right, before we hit the break, I just thought it's uh, proper that we introduce our guest for tonight for the big interview. I'm not sure if you'll agree with some of the things that I'll I'll say in introducing him because, you know, when we just overawed uh, with the kind of human being that he is, I mean, an all-powerful overlord in English refereeing, and not too many have survived as long as David Ellery has done, and unprovoke such strong feelings in the referee fraternity as he's done. And if you've watched football back in the earlier days, you'll never forget just what kind of nonsense whistleblowers go through. And here, you had a no-nonsense referee all round. And there are many, many reasons why I say that. I mean, who would ever forget when he sent off Roy Keane for that infamous tackle on Alf Inge Holland? The Kenborn official sending that abrasive Irishman off four times. Yeah, so he sent Roy Keane off four times. And he feared that the accusations of a vendetta against Manchester United after a bust-up, what, two years earlier following his controversial dismissal of Dennis Irwin at Anfield, if you remember that. Eh? There was a whole charge down, down that tunnel. Salek Ferguson, hmm, I don't even know what he said to him. No doubt the, the highest-profile British football referee in the world's game until his retirement in 2003. Highly entertaining uh, speaker. Uh, David has put some world-class players and managers in their place. I'll tell you about so many other things, eh? Ryan Giggs, you name it. But right now, though, Technical Director at the International Football Association Board, IFAB, as they call it, uh, David joins me in studio. Good to see you again after a couple of years, David. Hey, welcome to the show. Thank you, Robert. Very nice to be here, although it's not so comfortable being an Englishman in South Africa at the moment with, <laughs> with all your great success in sport, but it's really nice to see the country doing so well. Not as bad as New Zealand, though, because it looked like at a certain stage, even sheep sharing, we were beating New Zealand, never mind rugby or cricket. Yeah, no, you're uh, phenomenal at the moment, phenomenal, um, apart from perhaps your national football team. So Oof. that's the area you've got to get going. Yes. So let's start off with a battle. We're trying, to, we're, we're trying to sharpen those spears right now, yeah. David, because, you know, we've got a brand new coach in yep. Hugo Bruce. So he had a press conference today uh, trying to get us to a World Cup because since 2010 we failed dismally. Had we not been hosting the World Cup in 2010, we would have not spelt the word World Cup. So it's all of those things that I think South Africa really needs to panel beat. We can't be great at cricket, great at rugby, and then comes, you know, the majority sport in the country and we're just failing dismally. Yeah. yeah. I think that's, that's the crazy part. I'm looking forward to the conversation. I just thought before we go for the break, um, you know, Let's get the greetings over because when you come back, I don't even know where to start. There's so many things we need to unpack. But it's a it's fertile ground because the area of refereeing is so topical right now globally that it's best to begin that conversation right here. Hashtag MSW live now on 947 FM, Rise FM and Soweto Live. The same time. Hashtag MSW. Well, he is a teacher and he emphasizes that I call you David Ray. This is Daniel Bennett. And I can't argue with teachers because he's a professional person who's a professional teacher. So should I switch over? Should I call you what I've never called you before, David? Call me whatever you want. I'm sure you will. <laughs> well, there you have it, Daniel Bennett. Getting to observe South African football and you were there you were at the F&B Stadium over the weekend so we to Derby the biggest of its kind when it comes to SA football and I'm sure like you always do 
your eyes firmly focused on how the men in the middle operate, function. What did you make of that game, the 90 minutes that you observed? Well, it's very interesting because, of course, it's a big, big game and... Contrary to popular belief, referees like to finish a game with nobody talking about them, and that was really the case on Saturday. You had a younger referee, uh, I think a real talent for the future, and at the end of the game, nobody was really discussing anything. There were possible two incidents. Some of the Pirates fans um, were concerned about one or two incidents. There was a debate about was the goal offside or not, when it very clearly wasn't. And then the referee had a very big decision to make in the first minute with, with a late, lazy forwards tackle. Mm. Um, people saying, well, it could have been a red card. The great thing was he gave a yellow. He was strong. Nobody was discussing it afterwards. If he'd given a red, he could have, in a way, really influenced the game. So that was a referee that showed a great deal of empathy for the game. And that's what, that's what we want from our referees, to understand the law, but have a, what does football expect? What does football want? What's the spirit of football? And it's the spirit of the laws, which are often as important as the precise letter of the law. No, that's an important thing that I can't miss. When you talk about the spirit of the law, the spirit of the game, there is nothing firstly wrong in giving a red card in the first minute of a game. No, and if it deserves a red card, it deserves a red yeah. card. But if you look at that tackle, the, the, it was a forwards tackle, and they often say sure. forwards commit lazy tackles. His foot actually went in to try and block the ball rather than him going in to tackle for the ball. And as he lifted his foot, the defender's foot came up and there was a collision mm. caused, of course, by the attacker. But there was no malice there. There was no brutality. There was nothing that took it into the realm of serious foul play. Mm. It was a collision. It was lazy. But interestingly, and we'll talk about VR later, sure. if you took a still of the moment of impact, it was high up on the shin, I still would say that's a clear red card. And that's where you need to see the entire flow of the picture mm. and see little intensity, trying to block the ball, are coming together. If that contact had been made with the defender's foot on the ground, that would have been more serious because when the foot's on the ground, there's a bigger chance the of the leg, the leg breaking there. But when the leg is hanging there, following through from kicking the ball, it was the correct decision from the referee, probably assisted by his assistant referee, and got it right. Nobody spoke about it, and that's the, the great thing from the derby. It wasn't the greatest match yeah. of the Soweto derbies, but nobody talking about the referee. That's a perfect referee's afternoon. Yeah. No, nobody knows you were there. Yeah, but I, I agree. I think just in terms of the quality, it, it, it wasn't one that we'll talk about for years to come. It was a football game. A result was yeah. accomplished and Pirates walk away the victors and the bragging rights and the three points, etc. The spirit of the game, I'll go back to that again because sometimes there's been a debate to say, are referees supposed to referee the occasion? You know, we've had some very brave referees here in South Africa who have not really cared whether it is a Soweto derby, but if a decision has to be taken, it has to be taken. How much of that monitoring that occasion versus, as you say, the severity, if it's deserving, then you get it, plays a hand to say, maybe let me not spoil this encounter so early on in the game. I think referees have got to be brave, and, and what we always say is a red card is a red card is a red card, first minute, last minute. A yellow card is, there's a degree more flexibility there, and you need, need to feel the atmosphere, you need to feel the need of the game, and, and referees generally don't like giving yellow cards too early on because it can set a standard which then inevitably results in five, six, seven yellow cards, a second yellow card. And refereeing is a little bit like the police. And, and we say in the UK that the police 
are there by the consent of the people, which means that in a way the people have to ultimately respect the police to follow what they want the police to do. And refereeing's a little bit the same. And if referees have football at least understanding what they're trying to do and working for football mm. rather than against football, which some people think, it's the, the referees with the empathy, with the feeling for the game, that apply the laws in a sensible way for the benefit of the game and to protect the players that's important. And we often say, if you come off the field with five yellow cards and they're all for kicking the ball away, saying one or two bad words to the referee, and you've missed the worst foul mm -hmm. of the game, and that didn't get a card, you won't have the respect. And it's much better to be known as a referee who is strong on the physical and manages the technical, because I think that's what football people want all around the world. With that in mind, let me bring in something that was... I mentioned, which is obviously seen around the world as being hugely controversial, that of time wasting. Because if I'm not mistaken, that is what led to the sending off of Irwin in that game. And people, I think today, when you look at referees, yes, they still, they still referee very, very stringently on that. But I don't know when it kicks in, at what stage, how many seconds they allow for that to happen. But do you, do you believe, though, that given your experience and what it caused back then as far as erections were concerned, is that still applicable? Do we see it being applied in today's game? Yes, and in fact, there's been quite a, a move within IFAB, within Europe, within the Premier League to deal much more strongly with time wasting. And there are two elements to time wasting. Uh, people concentrate on the time lost, but often it's not the time lost that's the, the purpose it's actually to disrupt the tempo and the emotion of the game. So what you'll find is one team's doing very well, mm. the other team are under pressure. So they'll try and slow the game down. They'll commit small fouls. They'll kick the ball away. They'll go down with injuries yes. to disrupt the tempo. And it's the tempo disruption which we need to deal with. And the Premier League are dealing with it very strongly this season. You'll see more yellow cards for stopping free kicks, kicking the ball away. And with the Irwin one, it wasn't so much the fact that it, he kicked the ball half the length of the field to waste time. He did it to stop Liverpool taking a quick throw in in an attacking position. So it was as much tactical as time related. And we're very keen in football at the moment that, as you'll see with all this increased additional amount of time, yeah. that, that people want to see more football. And if you're going to a match which is 90 minutes and the ball is only in play for 45, 46, 47, you're being shortchanged. And, and so the desire is let's try and get the ball up in play for about 60, 60 plus minutes. Stoppages are part of the game, but they should be short. Uh, and people want to see football being played. My worst conversations are about refereeing because they're the shortest. We, we need about five hours to discuss refereeing issues. But what we spoke about even off air, and I said, David, I haven't seen football games in a long time that are stretching almost as if you're in extra time. So you find that there's 15 minutes that's added on, 12 minutes that's added on, and you're thinking, where does this come from? And you had a very clear explanation of the possibilities of that added time. Maybe share that with the listeners right now. Yeah, sure. I mean, what we discovered was that a lot of time was being lost by goal celebrations, which are part of the game when we don't want to stop them because yeah. they're part of the emotion. So, as an example, Liverpool played Real Madrid last season in a, a Champions League game. And in the first leg, it was 4-2 to, if I remember correctly, to Real Madrid at Anfield. 
seven minutes were taken up with goal celebrations. And that was time lost. Yeah. Now, if that time is added on at the end of the, the game, or the end of the half, as is happening now, now an extra seven minutes, what was 4-2 could easily become 5-2, and therefore the second leg is almost irrelevant, mm -hmm. or 4-3, in which case the second leg is wide open. So the teams, the players, the spectators have a right for, to the referee compensating for unfair or lengthy stoppages. We don't want mm -hmm. a stop-start clock for every throw-in, every free kick or whatever. But, but sometimes there are games, there was a, a Champions League game last season where 12 minutes of the game were taken up with free kicks. Eight minutes were taken up with goal kicks. So how do you circumvent that? How do you bypass that? Because free kicks are part of the game. It's just how quickly or when people decide or, you know, when the line is drawn. So all of those things are part of the game. The, you know, the new game having to give an instruction of the ball needs to be placed here, the wall needs to be placed here, etc. By that time, you've eaten away over a minute plus. Yeah, and, and some of those, you do need to speed up. And I think that referees are beginning to get a bit stronger even on goal kicks. And it depends on the time of the game. One of the other areas we're looking at this year is goalkeepers holding the ball for more than six seconds. And if you watch a typical football match, next football match you go to, count when the goalkeeper has the ball. It's more than six seconds. Or it's only two or three, depending yeah. whether the goalkeeper wants to create a quick attack or not. So we are looking at ways of saying, how can we get referees to be stronger when the goalkeeper's handing, holding the ball there for 10, 15, even 20 20 seconds. So I saw that this past weekend, David, where, again, if the team has an advantage, the goalkeeper gets the ball, he'll get it, he knows he's got the time, and then he'll lie down on top of the ball. Yep. So that's eating away. And I'm thinking, but that's already four seconds. Then yep. he's going to get up, that's another two seconds, but he never gets blown for the six-second rule. No, and one of the problems is that if you blow for breaking the six seconds. It's an indirect free kick, yeah. about six, seven metres from the goal line, which is impossible then. All the player defenders have to be back on the goal line between the goal posts. It's impossible to manage. Some people feel that it's actually too strong a punishment because there's quite a big chance of scoring from an indirect free mm -hmm. kick. So there's all sorts of reasons why it isn't being dealt with. And what we've got to do is to look at the law and say, is there a way in which we can encourage the referees to be stronger and like all punishments the most important thing about a punishment is that it's a deterrent to stop people being punished so can we find a way in which the goalkeepers won't risk being penalized for more than six seconds uh, well, we've got some interesting ideas which uh, we'll keep under wraps at the moment for our next discussion but um you know, these are areas we're looking at because we want the game to flow people yeah. like the flow of the game in the Premier League, for example, at the moment, they're not allowing players to be treated on the field unless they're seriously injured. And, and what is happening is if a player requires treatment, they have to go off mm. and then they stay off for a period of time to be properly assessed because this nonsense of them lying down, the trainer coming on, they go to the touchline and immediately come back on, people are frustrated with. So the, the amount of time being lost for so-called injuries in the Premier League is reducing and reducing because the players have said to us, if one of our team pretends they're injured and has to go off and we're down to 10 men and score a goal, we're going to give him a hard time, not the referee. So it's becoming self-regulating. So we're, this area of time, 
were working out hard, but we realised that there are natural stoppages in the game, and even the fittest players, even the fittest referees, mm. also need a bit of a break Absolutely. during the game. Yeah, and I mean, you, you talked back then. I think it was about two years ago when the offside review was under review, and it was a case of are people overstressing offside? And 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 you said, and I quote at the time, it's it's about giving more and more benefit to the attacker. Are we still there right now, David? I mean, from what are we seeing on television, from what we're seeing in the games, is that still the case? No, and I think it's one of, one of the disadvantages, a little bit of technology, because pre-technology, and, and this is not VAR, this yes. is media technology, because television companies were drawing offside lines way before VAR. Until we had that technology, the assistant referees always gave the benefit of the doubt to the, to the attacker. attacker. Yeah. Once you start drawing lines, there's no benefit of the doubt because it's factual. And people say, well, okay, does one centimetre offside, two centimetres offside? Well, it's factual. It's like the goalkeeper, one centimetre, two centimetres off the goal line. When you have a factual decision, there's always going to be a one centimetre difference. So if you say, okay, we'll have a tolerance of three centimetres, so you're onside for three, but you're offside for four, it's still a one centimetre difference. And so... What we've got to look at is, are there ways in which we can amend the law, develop the law to return a bit of the benefit of the doubt mm. to the attacker? Because technology, in a way, has taken that away. Whilst it remained a bit subjective from the assistant, the attacker's benefited. Mm. But it's fair to say with VAR, as many goals are allowed which would have been disallowed, as are disallowed having been allowed. So um, technology is helping, but it's in this area it's perhaps taken things back just a little bit for me it's become too forensic like you're saying so many centimeters your kneecap is just a little bit longer so it falls into that gap so we rule you offside and and those lines are drawn and amplified and magnified and so on the game was not about that and and aren't you finding it frustrating now to see also the different applications i, I use epl and i see it being used in la liga for example la liga decisions are taken differently from my observations to what I see, the constant debates within the EPL. I don't know if I'm right or wrong in my observations, but just watching football across the spectrum, you find that. Yeah, I think the problem is that, that football doesn't quite know what it wants. So if you take VAR, for example, football is saying we don't want VAR to interfere very much. We only want it for the clear and obvious errors, which is what we started it for. Yeah. But then those same people are saying, yeah, but they scored a goal from a corner kick, which should have been a goal kick. Why didn't VR intervene? So football hasn't really decided how it wants to use technology, and football almost contradicts itself. And this reflects a view of refereeing where coaches and everybody say, well, we want referees to be consistent, mm. but we want them to use common sense. And you can't have the two. Consistent means... A particular foul mm. is a yellow card in every game and every moment and every minute of every game. Common sense is, well, it's been a lovely game, there's been no yellow cards, you've got a yellow card foul in the last minute, but we don't need it because the game doesn't need it. And the consistency versus common sense argument is a little bit the same with VAR. Mm. Some don't want much VAR intervention, some want it for everything. You know, some want second yellow cards. Some want, as I say, corner kicks to be checked. Because if you get a go, and I, there was a game earlier this season in the EPL where Arsenal played Man United, and at half time, the pundit spent three minutes analysing 
whether the corner from which I think Arsenal scored should have been a corner or not. Did it get a deflection or not? So is, is that what football wants? Because in the end, we respond to what football wants. At the moment, we're getting mixed signals. But the general view, mm. I think, for VAR is we brought it in for clear and obvious errors in match-changing incidents, which are direct red cards, goals and penalties. Nobody writes the headline, Soweto Derby decided by wrong corner kick, mm. or Pirates cheated by throw-in. So we should keep it for the big decisions where teams can't recover if the referee makes a mistake. If the referee makes a mistake by giving a corner, which is a goal kick, the team can still stop that corner becoming a goal. Yeah. No, absolutely. Nothing is a given. Nothing is obvious. Well, clear or obvious, whichever way it is. David Lennery, my guest here tonight. Uh, we're going to take your calls. I see a lot of your voice thoughts that are coming through. Do send them through. Any questions, as I say, we learn and we've got the right man right here in studio. Marawa Sports Worldwide Live. In three, two, one. On 947, Vuma FM, Rise FM, and Soweto Live. Good evening, uh, Mr. Marawa, and good evening to your guest, uh, former referee, Mr. David Ellery. Uh, my only question to the former referee, Mr. Marawa, is that since we all know that in Europe, all their leagues are using EVR, but uh, there is still that uh, cry from some people who still believe that uh, VAR is not uh, doing any justice in terms of uh, decision making so are there any plans from their side to maybe implement something like goal line technology whereby you won't have to run to that uh, panel of EVAR during the during the game to ask for a review thank you mr marawa good show so lady, thank you so much indeed my guest tonight david ellery is here Pretty much in the heartbeat of what happens in the world of refereeing. Uh, he is technical director at the International Football Association Board, IFAB, and he is here live with us in studio. Maybe just bits and pieces of that voice note. Um, my complaint to you before the show was why on referees utilizing uh, the pit side monitor? I don't know what the technical term is for it, uh, but they do the listening of what is being told to them via the earpiece and then they implement whatever the suggestion is if it is uh, something that requires that. So he talks about goal line technology which might be completely different and goal line technology as far as I know how it works is has it crossed over the line, there's a little beep or buzz uh, on your on, on your wrist from the watch that you're wearing or the technology that's uh, given there. What for you do you make is the more reliable, and aren't the referees utilizing pit side? Are they deliberating a little bit more? Maybe just break it down in all its confusion. Yeah, I think what we have to understand is in football there are two types of decisions. They're the factual mm -hmm. and the subjective, a little bit like cricket. So cricket technology works well, a run out, a stumping. Uh, tennis uses technology well because the ball is either in or out. Yes. There's no debate. So goal line technology is a factual decision. FIFA are working very hard on offside technology, semi-automated offside technology. But if you look at offside, which in a way reflects the whole of football decision-making, there are two parts to offside. Are you in an offside position, which is factual, and are you then committing an offence in that position, getting in the way of the view of the goalkeeper? So we can use technology 
for the factual decisions. And we could extend goal line technology to the whole goal line. We could have touch line technology. We could have offside position technology. But then was that handball or not, or was that foul a red or yellow card, is not subject to factual technology. It's somebody's opinion. And so what happens with the VAR is that when referees give decisions now, they tell the VAR what they've given. So for me, no penalty, the arm was in a natural position. The VAR looks at the replay, and if what the referee has described is what the replay is showing, normally that's what's called check complete, we carry on. But if the replay is showing something very different, that's when the conversation starts. So... Uh, I would say, for me, that was a yellow card because the foul was a foot-on-foot mm. foul. If the replay shows, in fact, it was foot-on-knee, then the VAR would say, no, the contact was, was above the ankle. It's moving now into a red card situation. That's when they use the monitor. So they don't use the monitor for factual, mm-hmm. but for subjective, they need to. And what a lot of people don't want is somebody in a remote studio with no feel of the atmosphere making two as you said earlier forensic or clinical decision because the referee has the feel the referee also knows what's going on so you and i are playing Mm. i'd foul you and you say to me david i'm going to get you the next challenge and the referee hears that and you then take me out and it's 50 50 red or yellow card the referee has heard what you said to me so they've got more information than the var so the the real purpose and where VAR is working best in the world is where there's what we call a high level of intervention. When the decision is 70, 80, 90% wrong, not 65% wrong, not 55% wrong when it's subjective, but when it's very clearly wrong. And that's why we talk ab- about it being a clear and obvious error because we don't want the game re-refereed by somebody in a effectively a television studio somewhere and the so, players somewhere say, away from the stadium yeah. which is what people don't understand is that he's not they're not physically there yeah so they don't yeah. feel it and you know people are saying if michael oliver is refereeing our game today we want michael oliver making the biggest decisions we don't want somebody anonymous 150 miles away down at near heathrow airport making a decision in a slightly artificial antiseptic environment so that's where we the VAR never makes a decision, contrary to what people think. The referee always makes a decision. But in the same way the assistant referees help the referee, mm. the VAR is called a video assistant referee, not a video referee, because they're there to assist the referee. And we need to keep the referee as the strong on-field decision maker who is helped by the mm. parachute, if you like, of the VAR. If they make a clear error, a really serious error, that's when it needs to come in. And that's where VAR works best. Was the ball over the line? Was all of the ball over all of the line? You know, so all of these things. Yeah, but that's factual. (laughs) That is factual. factual. And and we saw that. And and, and that is why, you know, certain coaches were up in arms. And we understand that because now when we given, as you said, the freeze frame, the still, we see the ball over, but we don't know because there is no proper angle that shows was all of the ball over all of the line. That's right. And then you start to say, but are these optical illusions or what's going on in the world of football? How then do we try and minimize, uh, David, something like we've seen in the past two weeks? Well, I I think there are several things. I mean, you were talking obviously about the Arsenal-Newcastle game where there was the one goal and there were three possible things wrong with that goal. Did the ball go out of play? 
Was there a foul yeah. and was there offside? If you looked at the comments of most of the main commentators and pundits, they, they were 50-50. Yeah. So we, the starting point is the referee is right unless there is clear evidence that he is wrong or she is wrong. Mm -hmm. But like when you go to court, you're, you're presumed innocent unless there's clear evidence you're guilty. So if there's no angle mm -hmm. that says the ball was out of play, then the on-field decision, which said it didn't go out of play, stays. If there's no clear evidence that there was a push, a clear push, the on-field decision stays. And, and this is the crucial thing about VAR. And when we wrote the VAR protocol, I took cricket, where cricket has umpire's call, yes. as you know. Yes. It's either hitting the wicket, it's missing the wicket, or it's umpire's call. And in a way, we've taken that philosophy into VAR in the same way with rugby union. They used to, the, the referee used to say to the TMO, is there any reason for me not to give this try? And that was looking for reasons, and they didn't like it, so they changed, and it changed the referee saying to the TMO, I'm giving this try, and basically challenging the VAR, say, can you find any evidence to say I'm wrong, because if you can't, my decision but is preeminent. But isn't that a beauty, though, David? I think you've just hit it on the head. That conversation is what I believe we are missing. I know you were part of a trial yeah. of something similar. Um, it, it went a certain direction, but it's many years down the line now. And for me, that is the conversation that I believe is missing. I know they tried something with the, with the Women's uh, World Cup, uh, where now the referee, after having gone and consulted, comes through and there's an open microphone and tells the audience, which kind of looked a little bit forced and, you know, people are they listening in the, in the audience, but your bigger audience are the people at home. And those very same conversations, we saw them in France with the, with the Rugby World Cup, steadily, gently, through and through, meticulous, but very straightforward. And I think something similar would have happened in that Newcastle Arsenal game to say, from where I am, I think the ball looks to be over. And then they can say, oh, but we must be listening. We must be, I don't know what your take is, but my belief is that we should just be those guys who are the eyes and the ears, listening and following and learning. Now, I think this is something which may in time come. But what we have to remember is, is that we've gone from nothing to a lot with VAR. When I oversaw the first VAR match in the USA in August 2016, Less than two years later, it was being used in the World Cup final because it, it works, basically. Not perfectly, but nothing in football works perfectly. One of the things we didn't do enough of is educate people. And I think if people understood the process, and we've got to get better at understanding the process, but at the moment, there is so much pressure on the VAR. So Nicola Rizzoli from Italy, who refereed the World Cup final in Brazil, said to me after his first match as a VAR, he was more exhausted than when he refereed the World Cup final. Because it's a little bit like you've got your own children, you take them out and you're a bit casual with them. You take somebody else's children out and you're panicking all the time in case something goes wrong. The VAR doesn't want to let the referee down. Mm. So at the moment, we need to help the referees develop clever, precise, professional conversations. And one of the things that rugby has done, and I think football is moving towards rugby, has professional TMOs. At the moment, most of the VARs are also referees. So in the EPL, they can be a referee one week, a VAR the next week. I think in the coming years, and it's starting already with FIFA, we'll develop a panel of professional VARs who will be much more focused, 
much more able to communicate clearly and precisely. But in a stress situation, people don't necessarily say the right, say the right things and people get mm. confused. And there's also a risk that football would manipulate it. So the VR says, Robert, I want you to look at this one because for me that's a handball for a penalty. Yeah. You go and look at it and say, for me that's not a penalty. What's the coach going to say? One coach can say, well, the VAR thought it was a penalty, but Robert, the referee, was too arrogant to give the penalty. He wouldn't listen to the VAR. So hearing the conversation isn't necessarily going to make people happier with what goes on. Mm. But I think it's something will come. You were slightly dismissive of the announcement. I think this is going down pretty well, particularly in the mm. stadium, because one of the things is people at a match are not getting as much knowledge as people watching on TV. Was it still not allowed the replay? Because the replays aren't always there because it can yeah. cause crowd problems. Correct. But with the referee coming back and saying, having viewed the replay footage, there was a foul by Chiefs number five yeah. on Sundowns number seven, penalty kick, explains to people what's going on in the stadium. But isn't that where TMO's winning? Is because where football's not showing that for the crowd problem possibilities yeah. is that rugby is showing it very transparently so as they have that conversation both the referees they're looking at the big screen and say just put it up on the big screen and they almost in unison with the people at home and at the stadium coming to a conclusion yeah but let's be honest the behavior of the players the coaches and the spectators at a rugby match is very different sure. and you you put a replay on the screen the players will be pressurizing the referee mm. The coaches will be going crazy. So can you imagine a big EPL game and there's a 50-50 penalty and the two coaches are seeing it? They'll both see it through their own understandable uh, view. So will the spectators. So in terms of behavior, actually showing the replay at the time doesn't really work. We even saw it in the Women's World Cup mm. uh, four years ago in France where an offside was shown and suddenly some of the players stopped and started pointing at the replay. So we have to accept that at the moment, the way rugby conducts itself is, is a different level from the way football con yeah. conducts itself. I know I'm running out of time. You had mentioned cricket. I wanted to use a cricket example. Uh, we saw recently Angela Matthews becoming the first batter to get timed out at international cricket level. Um, so I see a, you know, a voice note also alluding to the same thing about cricket player you know, being sent off for time-wasting. What I wanted to say, and, and we've got all of... 30 seconds, unfortunately, David, is South Africa wants VAR. A large portion say they want VAR. What I've been saying is that South Africans don't have professional referees right now. So is it not jumping the gun to have what we call amateur referees? And then you have a system like VAR there before we get to the professionalization of referees. I think VAR could help a great deal in South Africa. A lot of your disputes, for example, about offside, which yes. is a, a factual decision. And I think that you don't need to have full-time referees mm. to make good use of VAR. I think VAR would help train the referees. I think it would also give greater confidence uh, in some of the decision-making, and I think it would be a major step forward. To, uh, you're one of the best leagues in, in Africa. Correct. You Correct. should have VAR, and that will enhance. And VAR takes away all sorts of issues because people understand the referees look to the replay is mm. given the penalty. The decisions are accepted much more. The behavior is much better. It would enhance the game here to, to have VAR, I'm sure. Yeah, well, I hope it won't be during a, a load shedding period, either <laughs> at the VAR room or at the stadium.
David Ellery, I know you and I can go on. Um, I, I love the fact that so many people wanted to be involved, but we will we'll bring you back soon because these are very important conversations. Like you're saying, there are a couple of law changes that are in the pipeline. And uh, let's chat about that. Uh, I know you're in the country now, which makes me happier. Uh, so let's utilize the information that you do have. But thank you so, so much indeed for gracing us with your presence today. Highly appreciated. Thank you, Rob. Really enjoyed talking to you as always. Thank you. Thanks so much. Technical Director at the International Football Association Board, IFAB. Uh, that's our studio guest uh, tonight, David Ellery. Hashtag MSW live now. on 947 FM, FM, and Soweto Live. At the same time. Hashtag MSW.